episode 142 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall, and joining me tonight is the 2017 world champion and everyone's favourite lovable byroid, Wilfred E. Horrig. How are you, Wilfie? Great. The first time that we're recording in the studio, I think our last episode was in person at Worlds, so it's good to be back home. Yeah, it's good to be back, uh, joined together by the wonders of Skype. Uh, and uh, and being back in Australia, obviously, is nice as well. Uh, and also joining us tonight is a very special guest, uh, the one and only Andre Nilsson, 2017 Malaysian National Champion, 2016 Regional Champion, and Top 16 Competitor from Worlds 2016. How are you, Andre? I'm great. Thanks, guys. Now, Andre was previously a resident of Europe and now is a resident of Southeast Asia, more specifically Indonesia. Uh, so how has this come about, Andre, and what's brought you over to our side of the world? Well, it's, it's a long story, so I'll, uh, I guess I'll try to keep it short. But uh, I suppose I could say that I, I began my sort of Indonesian love affair in 2011, uh, and I've been on and off here uh, for work uh, since then. So I'm now back for my, my fourth fourth time, <laughs> actually. Wow. So, so uh, yeah, I, I can't seem to uh, to stay away. Yeah, and uh, what is it that you love about Indonesia? What keeps bringing you back there? Uh, it's a really, it's a really fascinating place for many reasons. Uh, in terms of the culture, uh, the people are really, really friendly. Um, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful country. I mean, so you know, if, if the listeners haven't sort of uh, had a chance to visit, uh, if they are planning on being the side of the world or you know thinking about a place to travel, I mean, I can definitely recommend Indonesia. Uh, and for work is also quite quite interesting. I would say it, it's uh, it's a bit challenging sometimes, but it's also very very dynamic and and, and just kind of kind of fun if you like uh, a little bit um, some chaotic places. Yeah, cool. Uh, and if people were interested in visiting Indonesia, what are your top couple of recommendations for where they should go? Well, uh, obviously visiting means we can play some Netrunner, but other than that, uh, <laughs> obviously Bali is is uh, sort of a favorite destination. Uh, some great diving and sort of flores, the Komodo, Komodo dragons, Komodo islands. Um, and there, there, there's quite a few places, but I think flores would be my, my favorite place, actually. Okay, what was that? Flores? Yeah, Flores. So F-L-O-R-E-S. Um, so it's okay. where they can see the Komodo dragons and they can also sort of travel and see very, some, you know, indigenous cultures and tribes. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool place. Oh, very cool. Um, now, that would explain to our listeners a little bit, I guess, why you won the Malaysian Nationals, which may have been slightly confusing to people why you'd gone all the way for a Nationals tournament that doesn't even, as far as I know, award a bike for Worlds. Right. Um, certainly doesn't award flights. Um, but what was it that, that drew you to playing? Is it that you're um, just wanting to find the nearest competitive Netrunner tournament that you could to, to satisfy the Netrunner itch, or what was it? Yeah, it's something something like that. Yeah. Um... Obviously, when I when I was living in, in I'm I'm from Sweden originally, and so when I was living in in Sweden, I I, I played quite a bit, uh, and I think there's this really great uh, scene. There are some some uh, people who I think uh, the listeners might know, like uh, Gabriel Gaben, and there's Yoshi, or there's a lot of people there who are uh, quite good players, and um, I, I think it's, it's really a good community. I think. That's really where again I felt that I improved a lot as, as a player. So so having played a lot there uh, when I was living there, you know, I I, um, I didn't get the chance here in Indonesia as as, as much. And uh, when I heard about this this upcoming uh, nationals and knowing that I could not go go to Worlds this year, 
I figured this was my chance to at least get a little bit of that sort of adrenaline rush <laughs> as you get when, when playing. Yeah, cool. And so when did Malaysian Nationals happen? Oh, let's see. I guess it must have been. I was is in October. I think around mid October, around twentieth of yeah. October, give or take. I mean, a few days. Um, so only a couple of weeks before Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but but obviously it was uh, also just a, a few weeks after the rotation. So um, uh, it, was, it was quite interesting to to, to play in the, in the new meta. Yeah. So it was really the first and only tournament before Worlds uh, that was played using the second core set, the ban and restricted list, and the rotated format. So how did how did you approach trying to, to deck build for that tournament when you had nobody to net deck? <laughs> exactly. What to do when you can't net deck? Uh, the perennial <laughs> question. Um, no, I, I think I've been away a little bit from, from the netrunner scene, uh, moving back here, being quite engaged in work. So... I wasn't really that up to speed, honestly. Um, I, I, I did try to prepare, obviously, uh, you know, leading up to the tournament, um, but it, w- it was really difficult. Uh, I did try to, you know, play in terms of the corpse. I tried to do something like uh, Ag Infusion, you know, but without <laughs> Caprice, uh, it was <laughs> it was rough, uh, let's say. And so I think I was I, I did sort of look online. I did watch a few games on, on uh, Jinteki. Um, but but I think you know from my perspective I, I realized that I mean I, I hadn't spent enough time so I would have still to look online to find something and um, I guess this, this was the sort of time that there was you know around, around this time there was a bit of a drama in the network community about some you know um, decks being uh, being sort of <laughs> collected in certain ways uh, and and it did seem from that that CI really was the way to go and I'd never played CI in the past, but um, I figured that, you know, um, I didn't want to do do well, and so, so I, I felt like I had no other option really than, than, than to go CI. Um, the problem um, was, of course, to learn how to play it, because uh, there are obviously very different styles of CIs, which is, you know, I think it's kind of kind of cool um, that, that um, um, ID actually allows for that, that that's a wide span um, of decks, but um, yeah, it, it took me a while. I started off something completely different. Uh, absolutely messed it up um and and you know i would just in mid combo i would just realize that okay i i have no idea what i'm doing so mm-hmm. and and was that with the list that you ended up playing or was that as you say was something a bit different no that, that was that was more i mean I, I shouldn't say that it was similar to your deck wealthy but it, it did have well i think it had um three uh shipping from tenon so it, so it started off being a more sort of in a way i shouldn't say traditional uh um, fast advanced list, but it was, it was, uh, but it was more. I mean, it was not, it was not kill at all. So it was just, it's just you know, fast advance. Um, I, I realized that it, I, I shouldn't say that it could be shut off easily, um, but, but I, you know, you, you definitely have to sort of, you know, know when to go for it. And so I, I ended up messing up a lot, and then I figured, okay, well, <laughs> let's let's try something else. Um, and and I, I knew. There was a sort of kill list out there. I, I'd seen one going back a few months. Um, David from from uh, the UK, um, who had won, I think it was in Denmark, like a, a Copenhagen regional or something like that that I was on. Um, Brainer wiring and show force. So I I figured, you know, something a little bit um, uh, different could perhaps fit my style. So so I gave mm-hmm. it a try. 
And in your testing, what was it about the brain rewiring show of force combo that uh, persuaded you that that was the deck you wanted to take? Uh, good question. I, I think, I mean, it probably sort of coincided with the fact that since I played more, I also got better in general at, at you know, just playing a CI. Um, and so I started having more wins with it. And, and obviously it's, it's nice to win. So, um, you know, that felt better. And, and there's something about, you know, playing a car like Brainer Wiring. I mean, you know... <laughs> Who plays that, right? I mean, and so so so, play, so yeah. playing these cards is kind of, it's kind of fun in a way. It's just different. I mean, going going like that. So so I I'll go for it. And and uh, uh, slowly and surely, I start feeling more comfortable with that with that kind of line of playing and as a win con. So. Hmm. And on the runner side, you played Haley. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Um, uh, I, I've been a long fan of of Haley. Um, I played um, quite a bit of um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Pitchfork, Pitchfork Haley back in the day. Um, you know, there's, I think, I, I'm not a huge fan of Shaper BS, but, you know, if I do play Shaper BS, I really want to do it. And I think there's no one better to do that than, than Haley. So, uh, um, so, so I, I felt like when uh, um, Chris Fascio gave me a, a list with Tapworm, Laguna, and, and cards like that, uh, I felt mm-hmm. like okay, this this really looks like something that that I that I could like. So I, I made some tweaks, um, and and felt like okay, this is this is something that actually has a lot of out. And obviously with uh, with, with clot with with Sakon and, and information sifting, you know, you, you you had also a good good matchup against CI. And I obviously expected a lot of CIs to be played. So yeah. So oftentimes, what happens when you're preparing for a tournament is that you decide what you think is the best deck, and that's what usually you're going to take um, uh, on one side. Mm-hmm. So let's say the corp in this instance, and then on the other side, you'll try and make something that will at least be able to beat that. Because yep. if you think it's the best <laughs> deck, then you want to try and be able to beat it. So um, in in the Haley deck, what what was it that you decided was going to help you to beat CI more often than not? Was it the information sifting or was there something else about the way the deck played that made you feel more comfortable against the CI deck? I, I think honestly one of the cards, my favorite cards in that deck is, is Peace in Our Time. Um, I think Shapers obviously in general wants to get set up, right? I mean, that, that, that's the idea of them. Like, they, they're sort of in, in complete control. The problem, of mm. course, is that, that it can take some time to get the setup. Um, and, and, and having the economy to, to go with it. So so if you go back, I mean, look at sort of the, these kind of pitchfork decks. I mean, they've been relying on, on uh, what we call uh, technical writers. Um, you know, obviously you got the, the daily cast and stuff like that. But, it, it, you know, it, it's been sometimes a bit difficult to, to get the money. But with Peace in Our Time, I feel that gave, gave you some, you know, you, you could rely, you can beat through scarcity, for example. Um, and, and that, along with the tapworm, it gave you sort of you know viable options uh, of getting that money. Uh, and then you add the fact that you were playing Sure Gamble, you got the, the, the fan site and, and the Shadow Net. It, so it felt like you know it had sort of quite strong economy actually. Uh, and you know if, if you have a, a, a Shaper deck with strong economy, then 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 you got the tools to, to, to do a lot of stuff. So yeah, and certainly I think in the with the loss of Lucky Find uh, yep. in the post rotation format. Yep. It was that burst economy that shapers were lacking, oh, yeah. and the fact that Magnum Opus is restricted meant that your next best, I guess, economy option, uh, on the face of it at least, meant that you had it had a large opportunity cost because you couldn't play other restricted cards. But also, Magnum Opus comes with its own set of weaknesses yep. in terms of tempo. Um, 
So it's interesting that you identified peace in our time there as something which really plugs that hole in the shape of decks. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and again, I have to give credit to, 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 to Chris, who, who had the peace in our time and, and the tap worm sort of set up. Uh, um, but when I play, the list that I got from him had only two, and I realized quickly, well, you know, you should be playing three of this. So so, so I made some tweaks, but I mean, I, th- I think the core of having peace, you know, sort of tap worm, Laguna, those, those cards combination, and obviously a lot of the other are sort of state. Uh, uh, the Haley card, you know, um, cards, but I, I felt that yeah, you, you definitely want to have that. Stim hack also uh, gives you that chance, right? Of you know, <laughs> worst case scenario, you need that quick money, um, you know, get into to remotes. So so I think uh, P, without peace, you know, I don't think the deck would be the same for sure. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing that uh, few people in testing were concerned about with shapers was how effectively you'd be able to deal with the threat of MCA austerity policy. And I mean, um, a clot obviously helps to deal with that to some extent in that you can deal with whatever they chain the MCA into. But I think, and we can, we'll come to Wilfie's um, deck in a moment and on the corpse side in a little more depth, but the threat of the reversed accounts off the M cap helped to present these sorts of Haley decks with another threat than an agenda uh, if they couldn't get in and trash the MCA austerity policy in time. Uh, was that was MCA austerity policy something that you considered as a threat when you were building the Haley deck and was clock your answer or did you have something else up your sleeve? Was it stim hack or something else? Well, I mean, I would say that obviously MCA is a great card and, and obviously it, it's a threat. Um, I think though that, I mean, I was lucky enough to play in a meta where that reverse account was not being played. Um, so this, yeah. this was a few weeks before world. So, so again, I mean, people also, and if we'll get back to corp later, in terms of damage protection because I, I faced none of that so 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 yeah this this was a different meta so I never really thought about you know facing reverse accounts because no one was running it frankly so yeah it, it's MCA obviously presented with that fast advance but I felt like you know Claude would, would give me sort of ample um, uh, protection against that with the sack cons and then you know eventually you, you do have the money so so you can get into to the remote um, the one thing um, if we talk about <laughs> you know I would say uh, the difference perhaps um uh, of this deck that that I ran and then that I some later verse that I that I, I tried is that I I didn't include uh, I, I ended up taking out the dedicated processor uh, right before the tournament um, and I know you uh, Wilf did not play it either um, I'm not sure if you <laughs> were lucky not facing any big barriers but I did have uh, a few sort of uh, encounters with the Thonium and I think. Uh, um, uh, Shiasi at the at the at the net, so so it was a bit rough. I would have to say. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did that go when you faced up against the Typhoniums and the Chiasis? Uh, yeah. It, well, uh, not well, <laughs> in the sense that you know, um, face playing the Shiasi is, is is hard. <laughs> um, I think yeah, yeah. Shadow Net uh, saved me once there, um, and I guess I remember once or twice the Typhonium. You just kind of have to break it for eleven. <laughs> no biggie. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, that 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 made me later on to, to realize that that I I, I did want to play um, dedicated as well. So I, I changed that later on. Okay. Now the other card, last one that I wanted to sort of pick your brains on in the Haley deck is the inclusion of Laguna Velasco District over Professional Contacts, and this was something that was a point of contention for a lot of players in the lead up to Worlds, in that 
the UK players ended up, many of them, playing uh, professional contacts instead of Laguna, but uh, Wilfie and a number of others also uh, went down your route and, and played the Laguna instead. What was it that persuaded you to play Laguna over contacts? Well, I, again, the, the Laguna was in, in that list that I got, uh, but it's actually three. I actually reduced it to two. I think this is where I will differ from um, most people. A lot of people do feel like they want to have three. I know Wilfie actually added a third one. I think that's the only card that differs, but I did a interdiction um, and I think you did no introduction of Three Laguna. Um, maybe again, because I'm used to having pro code professional contacts from the past where, um, in the pitchfork version where there's like really no extra draw power. Um, so I felt like, but you needed extra money with, with the professional contacts. I felt that with Peace in Our Time and all these other ways like Tapworm, etc., you, you did actually have better economy. So, so it was not as needed. It was more important again to, to, to draw a lot of cards in terms of finding the cards you want, but also, uh, with Obakata and cards like that being around, being able to quickly recover from that uh, felt like it was, it was quite a, uh, a big thing. I have also seen some kind of quirky versions of um, Jinteki, like Spiky Perlana running a punitive Counter-Strike and stuff like that leading up to it. So I felt like, you know, you want to be able to run, steal something, and actually, you know, maybe drop to four cards again. So so uh, I think the Laguna is was in this, uh, at least in this deck, definitely better than, than the Proko. Yeah. And the fact that the Jinteki decks were often playing Obercarta and yep. that Laguna could help you recover, yep. or the cards in hand were, I guess, more important a resource than they'd really ever been before, yep. uh, that wasn't something that struck me before the tournament, but in yep. hindsight... That's a fantastic reason to play that card for sure. Yeah, and I think it also, you, I mean, some people look at that like, well, you know, you draw a lot, you know, you go through your deck. But again, this is also the, the choice of Levy as opposed to Philip Drake yeah. and other, other, other cards, right, where you, you know, you, you can't get your deck back. So so, so wasn't really concerned about decking myself. I mean, I, I was when I, when, I, when I, if I lost, you know, everything, like Levy and the, 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 the Shadow Net. But, you know, again, the Shadow Net gives you that extra safety as well uh, in terms of uh, keeping the uh, the levy lives. So, so Wilfie, uh, was there anything you wanted to ask Andre about the about the Haley deck, or anything yeah. you wanted to comment on now that you've played with it? Yeah. So, I will admit that I haven't had a huge amount of experience with the deck, given that I only picked it up briefly before Worlds. But I think a lot of the things you said resonated with me, and in terms of the specific composition of the deck, but in the sense that I don't necessarily think the specific composition of the deck is makes too much of a difference. Like there are lots of different one ofs that you can play, mm. and those are just the ones I decided were best for the day. But the deck is very flexible, and you can change out a lot of slots. And you know, I've had people mention afterwards, you know, I'm going to take a similar deck to a store champs or any sort of tournament. What cards should I put in it? to make it better and I sort of say you know there are lots of different choices depending on what sort of thing you want to be able to play yeah uh, and what sort of things you want to be able to tech against yeah no I, I, I agree full with that I think uh, I ended up taking out uh, Atman later on uh, I felt like I mean the dedicated processor would give me that sort of you know uh, you know the, the way to deal with barriers um, then obviously leading leading up to worlds, I, I noticed a lot more people playing 
uh, mythic allies, and, and so Atman then became very revival. So I think I think you know the, the choice, I mean, the decision from you to to keep Atman uh, was definitely the right one, and there's a lot of people uh, running it as well. So I think again, it really does depend on on, on some some meta calls. Um, uh, in terms of the, the interdiction that I mentioned before, I think for me it was it was nice to have. I mean, I felt like a lot of times you build up for big plays, um, you know, for big runs. And and when that happens, you know, I, I don't want to be facing Christian Grid with uh, uh, with indexing or, or uh, information sifting. And then there's also, I mean, you could deal with with, with Ben. Uh, what's it called Ben? I can't remember the full name of the, of the card the upgrade. In, in, Musashi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In Jinteki, right? So I felt like you know playing interdiction and then making the run is kind of a nice way of of handling that. And, and I did also face in my in my round one. Um, I faced a soul, which did a turn one scarcity, uh, which was a bit rough, uh, you know, <laughs> and I think we saw, yeah. yeah, and I think we saw in the final, saw the power of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, I, I did manage to draw into an interdiction, which, which helped me. And then I was just like, okay, I'm not going to score because <laughs> I don't want him to play scarcity again. So, so, uh, or, or steal. So, so it's really, uh, I, I did like interdiction, but like you said, I mean, you, you, you could certainly tweak some of these one-offs, um. And Wilfie, I know that in the lead up to Worlds, I think your deck building and the choices that you made took a bit of a different direction to, in, in some cases, how they had previously. Um, you, a, a lot of people remark that in a lot of games that you play, you've traditionally been quite a, um, I guess, a conservative player in the sense that you like to sort of cover off all bases and play cautiously. Um, whereas I think a lot of the choices that you made for Worlds this year were quite aggressive. And I think that cutting the current and having no way to counter corp currents is sort of a good example of that. How was it that you sort of came to that decision, um, considering the uh, obvious threat that scarcity could pose? Yeah, so I don't think it was in itself a decision to not play any currents. I think we just decided, based on the testing that we did, that if you wanted to play a current, you needed to have some other way to make it good as opposed to just playing currents and hoping that they would appear in your hand at the right time to turn off the scarcity so Mm -hmm. i think you know when we were playing employee strike we decided we'd play employee strike as well as um same old thing in some number and you'd play three employee strike to hope to have it at an at a crucial time so if i were to play a one of current in my deck i decided i would have to have some better ways to find it than just drawing and hoping so i think that was Mm. more of the reason than any particular thought about scarcity like of course scarcity is i knew that scarcity was going to be a a thing but especially since we didn't uh have scarcity in a lot of the corp decks that we thought were good we sort of figured and that's the sort of thing that we frequently talk about like even though you decide even though I decided to switch decks before, it wasn't to something that we hadn't thought about. It was to something that we had decided through our testing would be good. Yeah. And and so what other card choices that you made either to keep things in that uh, Andre had in his deck or to I- exclude things? Uh, what other card choices did you make and what was the thought process that you went through? Yeah, so I think the only change I made or one of the changes that I made was the admin and that was because as you said Andre there were a lot of mythic ice and especially since we had 
learnt or I'd seen through the icebreaker and also from hearing people talk about it that a lot of the CI lists were just going to play the all mythic ice suite yeah. which meant that if you were going to do that you needed to have an AI breaker in addition to Fem, or else you just had no hope of ever winning a game in that matchup I think uh, and I think it almost got to the point sorry Andre yep. before you come in there um, I think it almost got to the point before the tournament that some people were considering playing Atman outside of Shaper, which is something that we haven't seen for a long time, just because of how strong that threat was and how weak some of the other AI options are. Um, I mean, I know Almakua is good in a vacuum, but in that particular matchup when they've got two Mythic Ice on R&D and HQ and then potentially a Cyberdex in the bin, there's a decent chance that your Almakua won't do anything. Um, so how important was that Atman and the ability to play that to your decision to play the deck, Wolfie. Yeah, exactly. So even though we did think that Almakua was going to be one of the best AIs in general, yeah, in that specific situation of playing it's an all-AI deck, it's sort of the opposite of what you want, which is sort of funny in that way. Um, yeah. In terms of the decision to play the Atman... Sorry, what was your question? Oh, just the decision to play the deck was um, having access to that AI breaker specifically that specifically deals with that instance well um, or that situation well. Was that an important factor in your decision oh, to yeah, play the deck? Oh, yeah, definitely. The f- given that we thought that the metagame was going to be pretty open more than other years just because, as we have said before, we have come to a conclusion about what decks are good, but... It's really hard to work out, especially in such an open year, that other teams or testing groups have come to the same conclusion. So, And that was sort of one of the reasons that steered me away from the Kim deck, since I think we talked about this in the last episode, but specifically, especially playing the Icebreaker, I played against some decks that we had banked on seeing a bit less. And I know that playing against them once is not really an indicator of whether they're going to be popular or not but given that the vibe in the room was that those decks were going to be good especially since for example we talked to Dave and the other Brits and they had been looking at the Hydra deck and we thought that the Ed Kim deck wasn't so great against Hydra I wanted to play something that was a bit more flexible and had more game against a wider variety of different things and especially the Haley deck with so many one-ofs and so much draw power gives you a lot of chance to find the important cards at the right time in the particular matchups, the tech cards that are good in those matchups as well as just generally having a good game plan against most decks And sorry Andre, did you want to chime in no, and say I, something I, about I, the Mythic Ice? Right, yeah. well I was just going to say that I mean, I, I was going sort of back and forth with Atman and, and I did actually run Atman at, at, at Malaysian Nats, but I then took it out afterwards and felt like, you know, I didn't need it. But then I started seeing a lot more, again, at least on Jinteki, a lot more Mythic guys and, and, and you guys being present in the world, you probably saw it at the Icebreakers and stuff like that. So so I think that was absolutely the, the right call. And, and and sometimes, you know, you also have Miraju, uh, which is sometimes you need, you know, the Femme is locked up from Miraju as well um, to, to deal with that. So I think I think an Atman included was certainly the right call. Now, one interesting thing about the deck is the win conditions. Um, so you've got, obviously, the ability to 
lock them on the remote and stop them from fast advancing with clot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've also got the R&D attack cards. What was it that persuaded you to, that indexing was the right choice? So I, I haven't played a, a, a lot of indexing in the past, but, but it, it, you know, I'm, I, the, the old Pitchfork deck was relying a lot more on, on the R&D interface. And so, you know, you go through once and you, you hit and see, you know, three, four cards. Um, but, that being gone, uh, you know, indexing still felt like it was the right call, especially with with um, um, with Mad Dash as well in the deck. So, so I think I think indexing was the right call. Um, I, I've seen some versions perhaps running two indexing. I think maybe the Brits ran two indexing in one um, Maker's Eye. Yeah. So I think it, it's not a bad thing, uh, especially since you can can replay these cards. Uh, with fan side, so so having having you know if you do run low on on money and you have to go sort of for the the hail mary, uh, have having uh, the uh, the make sure I, say, I don't think it is a bad back haul, um, but no I think for for me indexing felt felt fine, uh, so yeah with indexing information sifting and then obviously you know uh, with the cloud and, and the remote it felt like it actually un- unlike in a way the, the pitchfork deck which had no H two pressure here you actually. You did. You, you could actually pressure all. You could uh, pressure all three uh, uh, servers or the, the the remotes as well. So so it's really. Um, uh, it felt like it was a very solid deck. One of the things I really like about it is that it's. It feels to me as though it um, has th- has thought through its threats and how the court might respond to them. And what I mean by that is that. Clot is one of the central threats to the deck and being able to stop them from fast advancing. Um, And you get both the additional value from your sat cons by having tapworm as well. Um, And you've got the ability to recycle your clots if they do go down the path of trying to just purge you out and get through your sat cons. Um, So what that means, having the levy, I guess, is that you can extend the game to a point where enough agendas are going to be introduced to zones that you can get into that you're going to win anyway even if they try and get rid of your clots manually that way um what i guess how did you both find having the levy as your restricted card um and how often did you play it and, and how much security did it give you um considering that the clot element but also the fact that you're drawing quite quickly with laguna uh, well, that, in terms of security, I would say immense security. It really felt nice to know that you had the levy. And uh, I would say, you know, com- combined with the shadow net, because sometimes you would lose the levy, right? Um, yeah. So, so, but having that was was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, I I did not even try to experiment with, with, with film critic, for example. Um, and, you know, you know, you lose you lose it, <laughs> and, and that's it, right? So, so levy just. Um, uh, what was the way to go felt like, but but not all, not only in terms of getting clock back, I also realized I got a lot of economy back. So you know you restart, yeah. and all of a sudden you have all your piece and our times uh, back in the deck. You have your your your, your daily cast back, and, and so so there's a lot of times where you would sort of reset and then you start drawing a bunch of economy again. So 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 I, I felt like it was, it was definitely superior to the the other restricted cards. That's great. How about you, Wolfie? Yeah. So Levy, I think has a bit of an impact in a deck building sense in that you can be a bit more aggressive and I think you can play Laguna in your deck more aggressively and draw to find the things that you need because you always have the security of knowing that you have Shadow Net and Levy in case you get into a situation where you need things but mm. other than that I didn't end up playing it actually that many times but the times where you do play it it's very essential to winning the game 
Yeah. And uh, what were some of the instances where you did find yourself playing it? Was it, you said, not just drawing through with Laguna, but where there was some other threat, like net damage or something? Or, or was it, um, did you sometimes find yourself just naturally drawing through your deck? And yeah, so back in? when you want to recur your uh, relevant events, like Stimhack and indexing Mad Dash, etc., especially when you've needed to discard them early because you need to set up instead of being able to play them to score points, so that was a situation in which I used it, but mostly I think for security against, like, program destruction and damage and etc. Okay. Um, uh, uh, sorry. I was going to say, one card, I, we, uh, go back a little bit to the Levy of Finding Claude again, I mean, one card I, that I just love in this deck is, is, is Scavenge too. Uh, mm. I think scavenge is just so versatile, and so so I find myself sometimes, you know, scavenging just get you know you get rid of perhaps a, uh, um, you know you have you have misdirection which you realize does nothing against a certain deck, uh, but you you install it using the the Haley ability because it obviously costs zero, uh, and then later on you could have you know you scavenge <laughs> misdirection and get back a lot, and th- those kind of plays I think is great. So I think scavenge is also one of my my favorite cards in the deck. Mm. And on the corp side, Andre. Um, when Wilfie was talking about our testing and the decks that we were perhaps ex- expecting to see a little bit less, uh, one of the decks that we tested a lot and then decided that the metagame had probably adjusted to and so wasn't as good was the Brain Rewiring yep. deck. Now, that's after you had played it and it's been around on the internet and everyone's been testing against it, but um, at the time that you played it, I think it's fair to say that it was fairly a fairly unknown quantity. Um how did you feel playing it in the tournament? And I, I guess when you decided to play it, how did it stack up against the other CI builds that you might have been testing? Yeah, so, so uh, no, you're absolutely right about the fact that, I mean, by the time of Worlds, um, it was no secret anymore that that, that, that version of, of CI uh, had gotten, you know, gotten quite big. Uh, obviously, the... the um, uh, the brainer wiring show force combo uh, is, is is not new, but I think it, people perhaps forgot it uh, or you know it it, uh, it didn't see a lot of play. Um, I <laughs> I guess I played manically uh, leading up to 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 uh, the Malaysian Nats and so so uh, and doing quite well with the deck. I mean I think you know more and more people sort of picked it up. And, and I think one of the reasons why it did so well and why people realized that that, that it was uh, a sort of a deck to be reckoned with is was the fact that 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 I added contract killer. Um, yeah. Because uh, up to that point, I was just you know, I was just of course thinking that I was going to kill with show force because that that was sort of the, the, the normal combo. Um, but then I sort of stumbled upon contract killer, looking through some cards, trying to build a deck in real life. And, and and I realized that that, that actually cuts the uh, the combo with one click um, mm-hmm. if you have only, for example, two uh, shipment from Kaguya. And so you know, cut, cutting a, a combo with a click is kind of kind of a big thing in a combo deck. So so uh, uh, it, it just became ridiculously consistent. Um, and there was basically no one on, on any sort of, uh, at least damage protection from, from meat damage. I mean, I did see, of course, feedback filters yeah. around, um, but, but people weren't running spoofing or, or, or the mercs or anything like that. So, so, so basically it was just about, you know, finding it, you know, quickly enough. And then, and then you could be sure that you could kill them, um, you know, through, because there was no protection and it would consistently, I would say, kill on turn, you know, 
at least by six or seven. I mean, you would you would have turned four or five kills quite often, um, but certainly by by six or seven, it was almost always a kill. And so, so the the only thing that I had to deal with in that case was sort of playing around clot um, uh, at that time, which you could do if mm. you if you if you try to sort of sneak out some stuff behind behind ice. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have to worry about the damage protection like like uh, everyone else at Worth did. Yeah, and, and I think the idea of being able to sometimes kill people on turn 4 or 5 and reliably by turn 6 or 7 uh, without them needing to have done anything like make a run or be behind yep. on money is obviously immensely powerful for a corp deck in Netrunner. Uh, how did that perform for you at, at Nats? Yeah, no, I, I uh, it did not lose a single game. <laughs> it, was, it was just ridiculously strong. So... so um, Obviously, again, f- facing clot, but but you know you 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 can play around clot, um, and, and so so uh, for me it was uh, I, I felt very comfortable uh, and confident when when I went into two games with the deck um, because I'd been playing it you know um, quite quite a bit before and so so looking just as as the win ratio it it, it did perform very well um, uh, so so but but of course you know. <laughs> After that, again, I, I did see a lot of more people packing uh, uh, meat damage, but but I, I did not expect to see that, and I didn't see it either uh, during the tournament. Yeah, I have to say the change to contract killer, uh, certainly when we added that to our testing version, it made a huge difference. Um, needing one less Kaguya or just one less piece in general to go off can speed it up by one or even more turns uh, in terms of how quickly you're able to kill mm-hmm. them. So that's huge. Um, Wilfie... When you made the decision to play the Stinson deck, or the Stinson reversed accounts uh, CI version, instead of rewiring, what was it that persuaded you that that was a better version? Uh, was it uh, what I mentioned earlier in terms of it being a bit more of a, a known quantity, um, or was there something else about the way that the Stinson deck operated against the good runner decks that you liked? Yeah, so it's a good question. It was a couple of things. The first is that I played rewiring at the icebreaker, and that was a front runner in terms of corp. Or that was the front, my front runner at least in terms of corp that I was thinking of playing at Worlds. But just that I felt the deck didn't have a great plan against hate. Like it was very easy for even decks that you thought were good matchups to beat you if you just if they just decided that they were willing to spend slots on cards that were good against you and of course you can deal with that to some extent and the rewiring decks that did well had different plans especially uh, Greg's version which had efficiency committee and was sort of split between the two plans which is probably turned out to be the way to go Um, but from the list that we had it wasn't super clear that that sort of strategy was going to work out given how much on the radar it was from everyone and even the people who decided not to play it like there wasn't a single person I'm sure who turned up to Worlds and was caught out when your you your opponent um you know plays ship, uh, you see shipment from Kaguya from your opponent or, or any card like that yeah uh, and in terms of the dynamic that we were talking about earlier where you often will take a corp deck that's good against your runner deck or at least make sure that both your decks have a decent matchup against each other uh, what was it about uh, the de- the Stinson um, 
CI build that you ended up playing that made you feel a little more confident against the Toolbox Haley decks? Um, I think mostly the a couple of factors. One, the anti-clot tool of having um, reversed accounts as your game plan. Like I know that the rewiring deck has a different sort of plan against clot, but given that we thought that SACCON clot decks were going to be quite strong, one of probably all of the good shapers would rely on that as your anti-CI plan in some regard. I thought that playing a deck that was more traditional and didn't have to kind of get rid of the clot in order to win, instead could bait them out with never advance or could reverse the counts, etc. I thought that was going to be a better plan given how ubiquitous I thought Sakon clot was going to be. Yeah. Cool. Um, now, Andre, turning away from the Nationals tournament and onto sort of future matters, um, how is the Netrunner scene in Indonesia developing and what do you hope to see in the future? Uh, well, it's a good question. I, I think um, the Netrunner scene used to be stronger here. Um, go back a few years. Um, you did see more players. Not a, not a whole lot, but but certainly more than, than, than we have right now. Uh, and, and I expect that to be um, I mean, that, that's probably the thing that's looked uh, pretty much elsewhere in, in Europe and, and the U.S. And, and other places. Um, I think certain cycles did hurt the game. Um, what we're trying to do now is that we're trying to, to you know, connect the, these old players as well as bring in new players. So we've started a league here uh, where we, uh, we play sort of one... Uh, we, we have people to register. We play... Uh, one round, which is in two weeks, so we, we ask people to sort of get together at a coffee house or somewhere, play play a match. Uh, uh, if you can't, because of you know time constraints, whatever, you know you're allowed, you you can't play it on Jinteki, but we would like to see people actually meeting up in real life and you know getting to know each other. So so by doing that, yeah. we we managed to get a league of I think 22 players signed up, uh, which wow. I think is really really good actually. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to continue and finding ways of you know, getting new players. And, and one of the things that we're struggling with here is certain uh, custom rules. Uh, so it's very difficult to get product into Indonesia. So we're very, very behind. Really? Yeah, we're very, very much behind on stuff like that. So it's quite common that people just buy their stuff in, in Singapore when they're on visits or, or uh, Kuala Lumpur. Um, so that, that's also something that, that, that hurts the game. So, so yeah, we're, we're trying to, to build it up. Uh, people here are you know, excited. They're super friendly. Uh, I think we have a great group of people here, uh, and I would have to say that that's also the case in in uh, in these these other places in Southeast Asia I've been to. I think that the community in Singapore, um, obviously with Ben Edmonds and other good players, is fantastic. Uh, the Kuala Lumpur uh, in Malaysia um, community is really really friendly. So so big shout out to all of these people uh, and communities mm. because they're really helpful. Uh, I do think though that we could probably work a little bit more together. Uh, to, to, to develop yeah. a little bit more of a sort of an, a Southeast Asia kind of <laughs> meta and, and structure for, for doing tournaments because I certainly believe there are players out there and I think there's there's also potential to grow because um, so, so I mean uh, you know if we if we compare Indonesia Malaysia and Singapore to Melbourne Sydney and Adelaide you're not looking at places that are that much further away really yep. uh, and in some cl- some cases are actually close together so um, th- there would to my mind, certainly appear to be the potential for getting a few more tournaments working if there are the right people to yep. 
help try and bring the metagame together and it sounds like you're doing a great job of trying to do that yeah we're we're trying i mean i mean i mean if you could imagine having something like like a sort of asian regional in 2019 perhaps i mean like that that would that would be something to work for right i mean it'd be great that would be awesome and i also think that i mean we could do something that's perhaps a little bit more uh, sort of um, fan sponsored, uh, perhaps in 2018. And I mean, I have I have a spare couch. I mean, I know there are friendly people here. I mean, you know, we, we could host people here in Jakarta or maybe you know elsewhere. So I definitely think we could we could work together and have a grow here. I think that would be beneficial to to the game in general. And, and uh, I'd like to also give you know obviously a shout out to you guys for for bringing some you know amazing Netrunner content and, and uh, of course having the world champion uh, on a team is is <laughs> is, is, is it's a great thing as well so yeah i hope that we're gonna see bigger growth in the future in this part of the world yeah it's all that's all really exciting um but i'm sure that wilfie would and i know that i would be uh, keen to come and visit indonesia to play some netrunner I and mean, one of the great things about having a hobby like this and meeting people from all over the world is that you have a great excuse to go and visit different places that you haven't necessarily been before wilfie yeah i think that's a very good point and of course everyone's had the experience or if, if you haven't then you should of going somewhere else to see what the netrunner scene is like to play a tournament and it's often a very different experience to playing at your local meta where you know everyone and yeah i find it really fun yeah, cool. uh, may um, I also just say that I mean um, I, I was back in Sweden here a few months ago in mean, the summer, and I, I told my my, uh, my friends in the Swedish Netrunner community that, that I was going back and they were sort of starting this thing up. And, and given the fact that it is difficult to get product in, and basically there are very very few alt arts, uh, I did ask them if they they could support us. And I just want to thank everyone in the Swedish Netrunner community, and especially uh, Gaben and uh, also uh, Peter or Peter who collapse uh, for for giving a lot of a lot of beautiful alt arts uh, to help us. So, so we we have a bunch of things here like you know mats and stuff like that that. that that was donated by the Swedish community, so 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 we could help build the the network community here in Indonesia. So really, big thanks to all those guys and girls. That actually uh, reminds me of the South African meta who put out a call online, I think, for people to donate alt arts because they were trying to get uh, things going there with some tournaments, and they also didn't have access to many promos, and a whole lot of people sent them some stuff for free. So shout out both to mm-hmm. the. South African community, but also to everyone who gave them a hand and sent some stuff. I think that that sort of um, generosity is what really helps to grow the game and makes it a great community that we have worldwide. Uh, the other thing, I guess, Andre, I wanted to um, mention is that Core 2, or the revised core set, is obviously on its way very shortly. Are you hoping that that will help to revitalize the meta and i mean are there stores that are going to have it available for sale in indonesia yeah i mean uh, they will it'll probably take some time to, to get them but but uh they will have it uh i mean i'm in contact with um the few of the so the store owners here and so i mean hopefully we'll start doing some teaching sessions and, and i think uh obviously with, with core 2.0 coming up i think that that's really is a time to to just start something like that so so i i hope that it will revitalize the um the community here as well so 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 yeah looking forward to that 
That's awesome. Well, uh, any other shout-outs from you, Andre, before we finish up? Yeah, sure. The, the last shout-out I would like to give to, to, to Spags and Lucas. They were part of, uh, or I was part of their test group, I would say, uh, leading up to Worlds. Uh, so, so a lot of the, the uh, some of the changes to, to the Halo deck, and, uh, and especially with, with the Corp deck, I was discussing a lot with Lucas. Um, so, so, so big shout-out to, to that group and, and Spags and Lucas in particular. All right, good stuff. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And if you want to get in touch with us to comment on anything you've heard in this episode or let us know what you'd like to hear in the future as we approach our very exciting 150th episode extravaganza, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. Or you can head along to Patreon and throw a few dollars our way at www.patreon.com slash winningagenda. Uh, On the topic of our 150th episode extravaganza, we're going to be plugging in the next few weeks that if you have something that you would like to say about the winning agenda, perhaps something you uh, like about the way we do things or what we contribute to the community, or if you have a favorite memory, favorite episode, uh, favorite joke uh, from the past, anything that you would like to contribute, uh, you can email us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com or get in touch with us through any of the other ways I mentioned and let us know and we'll uh, give you a shout out and mention it on our 150th episode. So thanks to you all for your loyal patronage and we hope you enjoy the content we put out and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.